We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Yusei Koshal. Yusei, we are recording this episode on Wednesday, June 9th. We're in the midst of OTAs, again, the second week of OTAs for the Bears here. Uh, last week, they had their voluntary OTAs, so you know we saw a lot of veterans not there at OTAs, but this week, they are mandatory, so we're going to probably see the entire team there, the entire 90-man roster there. Uh, pretty exciting stuff uh, from a Bears standpoint there. Um, and then hopefully, you know, Zach's going to be at the OTAs, I know today, at least. So hopefully we get some interesting nuggets from what's going down at the practices there. But overall, besides that, you know, you said, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing well, man. You're right. OTAs are starting. There's just at least some activity going on. I know that we're in the last, we have like a week or two before we hit kind of the really dead period of the off season in the NFL, but it's still exciting, man. I mean, last week, just OTAs, some of my big takeaways from the bears own OTAs. Cause we heard from Andy Dalton, Jermaine, Ifedi, David Montgomery, as well as Matt Nagy. And one of the, there's a couple things that stuck out to me. Number one, Andy Dalton's supposedly picking up the playbook faster and he's really excelling and he's hitting wide receivers in stride. Matt Nagy specifically mentioned those anticipatory throws that Dalton has been making and that's encouraging to see because that means that if this continues into the season you're going to see a big uptick in production in the Bears offense and then David Montgomery he actually is working with a speed trainer this offseason I believe the name is Chris Christoph or something like that but actually teaches or coaches tracked right here in the Chicagoland area and so that was interesting to me because Dave Montgomery's like oh I'm finally learning to run this offseason and that's encouraging because what you're getting there is you're getting a dual threat running back. Who's finally going to learn to break away on big plays and really become a true home run hitter. Because one of the big knocks on David Montgomery is he gets to that second, that third level. And then unfortunately he's just not able to like finish plays because guys catch up to him. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, like the Andy Dalton stuff, I find interesting because, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, we've seen a problem with this offense over the past few years, just like the timing and anticipation from, you know, whether it's Mr. Trubisky or Nick Foles or Chase Daniel just isn't there all the time in the offense. And that just really drags this unit down as a whole. So it's encouraging to see Andy Dalton, you know, picking up things right away and look and looking good so far in OTAs. I, I should add that this is, you know, with the context of pretty much the entire starting defense was not there at the voluntary OTAs uh, for the Bears. So, I mean, it all is going up against a second, third string defense right there, which kind of changes things a bit. You know, we'll see what happens once they get the entire starting unit back for these mandatory OTAs. Again, it's probably still going to be pretty light stuff. So uh, we'll see what goes on with those practices there with Dalton. But I, I do find it interesting, like you mentioned, with, with uh, David Montgomery, you know, that is really the, the only missing piece in this game. Cause you look at him, you know, he's a valuable as a receiver out of the backfield, being able to you know get yards after the catch and pick up a bunch of chunk plays there. He's valuable in the run game as a guy that can break a lot of tackles and pick up tough yards for you. But like you said, that ability when he gets to the second and third level to break away and get big home run, you know, runs, I, I should say, but um, you know, that is something that has been missing in this game. Other than, you know, you look at some of the big runs last year, like against the Texans, he had that one 80 yard touchdown, uh, last season but other than that he just isn't he, he just hasn't been a guy that uh that can get to the second level and break away from people so uh, it is encouraging to see him working on that and really attacking that aspect of his game this offseason it feels like you know Montgomery is a guy that's gotten better in every single year that he's been in the NFL and if you can add that speed element to his game I mean I mean this, this ceiling really there really isn't too much of a ceiling there for him he's got a really uh, he's got a lot of potential to really make an impact for this Bears offense just because, like I already mentioned, he, he brings a lot of value as a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, we know what he can do as a runner um, with better blocking, hopefully, and that added speed element. You know, he's, I think his speed coach said that he got him up to about a 4-4 right now, which I'm not sure if I believe that. I think he was in the high 4-5s at the combine when he tested there coming out of the draft. So I don't know if he's up to like 4-4 now, like uh, the coach is probably talking him up to be, but – I mean, if he's anywhere in that sub four five range, I mean, that's that's invaluable for the Bears offense. Right. And you mentioned the receiving threat of Dave Montgomery. I went back and I looked at his film and I looked at some of his numbers as well from last season. He actually grew as a receiver in 2020 because he doubled his production. I mean, he had like, I think, 50 or 60 receptions. Whereas compared to his rookie season, he only had, I think, like 25 or 30 receptions. So you definitely see David Montgomery continuing to take off. And that's going to be valuable, especially when you do have Andy Dalton is your quarterback who you can't really run a pass first offense with him because he is kind of limited in certain things. But then also you have Justin Fields. And it's going to be interesting to see the type of offense that the Bears decide to roll out with Justin Fields, knowing that the last time they had a rookie quarterback in town, the Bears were really were not equipped to properly develop that young quarterback and all of a sudden you have a pretty solid playmaking core on paper and then you have Montgomery you have Allen Robinson Darnell Mooney um so those are I think those right there are going to be the three key players that are going to kind of shape what the Bears offensive philosophy looks like in addition to Justin Fields yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the differences are in the offenses between both quarterbacks because Andy Dalton, he does like to use uh, running backs out of the backfield. He likes to chuck it down quite a bit to those guys uh, and get the ball out of his hands quickly. So David Montgomery, if Andy Dalton's in the game, could have a much bigger impact than Justin Fields, who's a lot more aggressive, looking to attack vertically down the field. Um, so that's one of the interesting interesting things that I'm looking to see 
from this offense and OTAs and going into training camp eventually and you know, a little bit over a month or so. So uh, those are kind of the things to look up for there. Uh, before we get into the topic of today's episode, though, you say we have one thing to talk about in regards to uh, the broad scope of the NFL. Now is that there was a huge trade that went down uh, this past week that we weren't able to discuss on our last podcast, but I think we should briefly touch on it here. And that's Leo Jones going to the Tennessee Titans in exchange for a second round pick in 2022, a fourth round pick in 2023. And then uh, Tennessee is getting a sixth round pick in return uh, from the Atlanta Falcons with Leo Jones. So this is a fascinating trade, uh, in my opinion, you said, uh, because, you know, in my opinion, the, the one missing piece for the Tennessee Titans offense to make them uh, the really the, the, the full on favorites in the AFC South was that number two wide receiver position because they had AJ Brown there, they had Derrick Henry, but after that, they really didn't have any other playmakers on that, on that offense. So you get an upgrade here with Julio Jones, who is still a top five, top three wide receiver in the NFL, even at his age at 32 years old, you add him to that group with AJ Brown, that really makes them a dangerous unit overall. I think it's a, it's a huge upgrade over what they had in Corey Davis last year, who, Keep in mind, he's a solid number two wide receiver, Corey Davis says. He's going to be pretty good for the Jets, I think, uh, who he signed with in the offseason. But Julio Jones is just a different animal altogether with what he brings on the football field there. Um, so, you know, sticking first with the Tennessee Titans perspective, just a great trade all around, great value. Um, and you have to love that from a team building aspect. Right. And they continue to add to the playmaking core because they realize their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, He's good, but he's not good enough to get them over the top. When you look at the Titans last season, and this goes back to 2019 as well, when they were kind of that Cinderella team because they went all the way to the AFC Championship game. They had A.J. Brown. They had Derrick Henry, Corey Davis, Jonu Smith were there in 2019 as well. This past, They were there in 2022, and the Titans were able to win 11 games. They actually started off. 5-0. and oh. Now, when you look at moving into 2021, you lose Corey Davis in free agency as well as John U. Smith. Both guys go to the AFC East. Davis, like you mentioned, signs with the Jets. John U. Smith ends up on the Patriots. But they got better even though they lost. With this Julio Jones trade, let me say this. The Titans got better even though they lost Smith and Corey Davis because now you open up your playbook in such a way where you're going to be able to have more 11 personnel that it's going to be that you'll be able to run with Smith. I'm sorry, with Derrick Henry in your backfield, as well as um, I've got who they're tight. Well, they drafted Brevin Jordan, I should say for their tight end in the 2021 NFL draft. And then you have um, Julio Jones, as well as AJ Brown. So really defense is going to have to play this guessing game of who are you going to defend on any given play and then also just from a bigger standpoint for the titans you're trading for julio jones adding an impact player at 32 years old now what you're signaling with that move is this is hey look we believe our time to win is now we signed ryan Tannehill to a big extension last offseason i think there's three years left on that deal they want to be able to maximize that window and so with this trade they're trying to move up into the big and compete with the big boys of the AFC. That would be right now the Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, the um, you could throw the Cleveland Browns in there because the Browns certainly have one of the best rosters in football, as well as the Baltimore Ravens. This is what this move signals for me. It's just that the one thing with the Titans is their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, like I mentioned, he's good, but he's a quarterback you win with, not necessarily a quarterback you win because of. Now on the defensive side of the ball, they got a great young core, but 
they got to dial that pass rush up, man. I mean, they have Harold Landry. They signed Bud Dupree this offseason. They experimented with Jadavian Clowney. That thing completely failed. Lost Jarrell Casey last offseason, but they have these other guys like Jeffrey Simmons. So it's a pretty solid all-around roster. It's just going to come down to, like, how the quarterback plays. Yeah, I think, you know, it's tough to put them in the, you know, topper echelon of AFC teams with the Chiefs and the Bills just because you don't know what Ryan Tannehill's ceiling is. I think Tannehill's a solid player for what they – he's a good player for what they want to run with their system, heavy play action, a lot of deep shots down the field, a lot of open crossing routes over the middle of the field to those playmakers. But, you know, is he a guy that can really carry you and put the team on your back when – uh, you need to get carried by your quarterback. I'm not quite sure. So uh, it's it's tough to say they're really a true Super Bowl contender, but they are absolutely a legitimate playoff threat, I think, with this trade for sure. Um, and again, you have to look at what the price they're giving up here for this. You know, Julio Jones, you know, they're getting him on a bit of a discount here on his contract uh, a little bit at, at the end of his contract here. I think his cap hit's going to be about 15 million. I think they're dropping that with uh, restructure here, but you know, the cap hits, uh, the other, the next two years are about 11 million each. So it's not like debilitating. And again, he's still a top flight wide receiver in the NFL. So for the value of just really a second round pick, I mean, you make that deal every single day of the week, if you're the Titans and you're happy about it in a p- opposition to that, uh, that leads us to the Falcons who I think are the big losers in this trade. And it's not that like the value they got for Julio Jones was necessarily terrible because, you know, you're trading a 32 wide receiver, 32 year old wide receiver with three years left on his contract was pretty, with a pretty big cap hit this year, still has a good amount of guaranteed money left on it. You know, and Julio Jones had some injury issues last year. So the value probably wasn't there to get a first round pick, even though Julio Jones is still probably an elite player still with that said though, uh, the Falcons, it just, I look at this from a broad view here, just does not make a lot of sense from a strategy standpoint, because if they knew that, trading Julio Jones was on the table and was a possibility earlier in the offseason, which is what was reported Julio Jones asked for a trade earlier in the offseason. And the Falcons had to basically wait until this point because of the June 1st uh, cutoff, basically to spread out his dead money a little bit to next season. Um, yeah, it still doesn't make sense because you look at what they did in the draft. I mean, they, they were at the fourth selection. They ended up selecting Kyle Pitts, who, very well could be an elite player. I think Kyle Pitts is a very special talent, and I think he'll be very good for the Falcons there in that offense, whether it's tight end or wide receiver or some combination hybrid of both those positions in their offense. With that said, it feels like more of a lateral move to stay competitive right now with Matt Ryan rather than making your team better um, if you're trading away Julio Jones. And if you're going to trade away Julio Jones, who's been the face of that franchise for about 10 years now, you know why not completely reset here and commit to a full-on rebuild? And that means, you know, as it, it really relates to the Bears here because, you know, they had a chance to draft Justin Fields at number four overall, or they could have traded down and gotten a ton of picks uh, for another team to jump up and get Justin Fields at that number four spot. So I think they really missed an opportunity here to really reset this roster a little bit with either a young quarterback or a bunch of draft picks to really reload this roster because this roster is not close enough to competing right away, even with Matt Ryan. So it feels like they're kind of stuck in limbo here without a direction of where they want to go with this roster. Stuck in limbo is the perfect term to use. When you look at the Falcons, I mean, the two of their biggest stars, which would before this trade were Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, and they had absolutely atrocious contracts because the former general manager decided to just backload 
both of those deals. I mean, I believe Matt Ryan's cap hit next offseason, the dead cap hit alone is like 40 and a half million. It was 64.5 million or somewhere around that range this offseason. This trade was more so about just getting rid of that contract and they basically took whatever compensation needed to be taken. Now, if you're the Falcons, you realize, oh, okay, yeah, we're getting rid of an impact player, but then you're getting back a 2022 second round pick as well as a 2023rd fourth round pick. Now, Matt Ryan, we know he's got a couple good years of football left in him, but he's not the future, which means that at some point, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, the head coach and general manager, they're going to look into drafting a quarterback. And you know what? Depending on where they land in the 2022 NFL draft, I mean, there's already early rumblings. We could see four or five quarterbacks go in the first round next year. We know for sure Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, Sam Howell, um, and then you've got Malik Willis from Liberty. Those are three guys that are probably going to be first-round picks. Now, looking at that, I mean, they get an extra second-round pick back, which means that they can use that to move up for a quarterback. So I think this trade was more so – it was kind of counterproductive because you're making your roster worse. But then at the end of the day, if you're able to land and hit on a quarterback at some point in the next couple of years – and it's directly going to be tied to this Julio Jones trade. I don't think anyone's really going to be complaining. Yeah, I guess from the standpoint of we just like there's so much unknown with whether they can get that quarterback because, you know, they had the chance to get their quarterback there at number four and they decided to go in a different direction, which is fine. Kalpis is amazing, but it makes more sense to make that pick, I guess, if you're keeping Julio Jones and you're looking to be competitive around Matt Ryan to maximize the last couple of years of his career. So it's a fascinating trade all around. I think the Titans, they did a really good job here maximizing value um, and getting a borderline elite player still um, on a pretty good contract without you know, really opening up, you know, really giving up the entire bank here uh, to make this happen. So good for the, good for the Titans. Um, Falcons, not so much. I think it did have a residual effect on the Bears there because that allows them to get Justin Fields then. So you have to say that, you know, the Falcons process here not being quite strong, that the Bears benefited from it, which, you know, it feels nice to say that usually does not happen for the Bears. So I think we'll definitely take that as Bears fans there. Uh, speaking of the Bears, I think that's a good point to transition to the topic of today's episode. So uh, last week we started to do a series of episodes that was a little bit different for this podcast, and that's taking a look back at some of the previous drafts that Ryan Pace has heralded here uh, for the Bears, you look at, you know, last week we looked at the 2015 draft class for the Bears and, you know, basically just broke down the picks within the context of, you know, that season, graded the draft, um, you know, with what the Bears got from that haul and then redrafted the draft based off of, you know, in hindsight analysis based off of who was available at the time and, you know, what the Bears could have done differently. So I think we're, we're going to be doing a similar thing today, this time looking at the 2016 draft. Uh, and just to get right into it here, you said, you know, looking at this from a context standpoint of this 2016 draft, it was interesting because, you know, after 2015, which was, you know, the first year of a rebuild with John Fox in town, uh, first year of Ryan Pace as the general manager, you know, the Bears, I felt like they overachieved quite a bit that season. Jay Culler had a pretty nice year, even though that was probably the last, that was the last productive year he had in a Bears uniform. Going to 2016 here, this was the last year that Jay Culler had guaranteed money on his contract. So it was already kind of thought of that this was probably going to be Jay Cutler's last year as a Bear going into this season. Uh, and then you look at it, the rest of this roster here, Alshon Jeffrey going to the final year of his contract on the franchise tag. You're not sure what you're getting from him there. And then they added Dan Trevathan, Akeem Hicks, and free agency. 
which turned out to be a pretty good free agency haul for them as a whole in that 2016 offseason for them. Two players that ended up being uh, foundational pieces for their 2018 team. So even though with that said, you know, this team still had a lot of holes in it at this point uh, of the rebuild here. They had done a complete uh, restructure, restructure of the roster basically over the last couple off seasons. Both sides of the ball needed a ton of work, still a lot of talent that needed to be added. And what's notable about this draft is this was the first year that Ryan Pace had his guys in terms of his scouting staff on. So in 2015, he was working with Phil Emery's scouting staff. This year, he brought in his own scouting staff. And I think you really saw that reflected in this year's draft. I thought you say personally, this was a much stronger draft overall. But before we get into the exact picks here, you know, what are your kind of your general thoughts on this draft based off of like where the context of where the Bears were at and, uh, you know, what they ended up getting with this haul? Yeah, I would say it was a pretty solid draft class in general. Now, when you look at it, I mean, because the Bears had, what, eight eight or nine picks in this draft. Very easily, your best players brought in terms – your best player in terms of longevity is obviously Cody White here. Your best player that had an instant impact was Jordan Howard, who was starting by week four of the 2016 season, started against the Cowboys on Sunday night football. But you also – this what this draft did was start to give the bears some depth because they got Deion Bush, Deandre Houston, Carson Kwiatkowski was another really valuable depth piece. And then the big one that people are always going to be split on is the first pick ninth overall, which was Leonard Floyd. But ultimately this, what this was, was this, and we'll get into Floyd in just a moment here. This was still a really solid draft class that you saw started to form the foundation for what would eventually become the 2018 roster. Yeah, absolutely. And then just going down the picks here, I'll, I'll just go through them right now. Um, you know, with that first pick, like you mentioned, Leonard Floyd, uh, he was their first pick in this draft. It was interesting because the bears, they originally had the 11th pick in the draft. They ended up trading up to number nine to get Leonard Floyd because it was rumored that the giants were really heavily interested in getting Leonard Floyd. And Floyd was kind of considered um, the second best edge rusher in this draft class behind uh, Joey Bosa. Um, so they're in a situation to where they felt like they needed to get Leonard Floyd because of the scarcity of the position there and because of where they were at with the position. So they went up, they traded a fourth round pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got Leonard Floyd. It was kind of seen as a high risk, uh, you know, high reward pick at the time because Leonard Floyd was considered a guy that, you know, really skinny coming out of college, uh, played multiple positions at, at Georgia, um, kind of a bit of a project work in progress there as, as a pass rusher. So that was an intriguing selection there. But in the second round there, they ended up making up for that by making two trade downs in the second round and move back, get some additional draft capital to make up for that. And then with that second round pick, like you said, they got Cody Whitehair, who was considered, you know, without the, I guess without the context of positional value, he was considered one of the elite offensive linemen in this draft going into the draft. He was considered the best interior offensive lineman going into the draft and they got him at 56 overall. So uh, they got him there in the second round. And then in the third round, they got Jonathan Bowler, defensive lineman out of Florida. Uh, and then the fourth round, they had three fourth round picks. They trade up for Nick Bukowski, like you mentioned, at linebacker out of West Virginia. They got Deion Bush here at 124 overall out of Miami. And then with the 127th pick, they got DeAndre Hall, cornerback uh, from Northern Iowa. And then the fifth round, like you said, Jordan Howard, running back out of Indiana. They got him as a steal in the fifth round there. Very good value to get him there. And then the sixth and seventh round, they got DeAndre Houston Carson at 185 overall. And then wide receiver Daniel Braverman, wide receiver out of Western Michigan at 230 overall in the seventh round. So 
Let's just start this off by grading this pick by pick. You said, um, I'll start off with Leonard Floyd here. I gave this pick a C plus when looking at this uh, in hindsight here. You know, the thing with Floyd is, you know, he was a solid starter for the Bears here for five years. I think he always was a guy that was underappreciated for what he brought to the table in terms of his versatility in coverage, his ability to play the run, his ability to play in space, um, underrated his ability to set the line of scrimmage as a run defender, I thought as well. Um, but, you know, never lived up to his draft status, and especially when you trade up for him. Uh, he was just never going to live up to that. That was not the type of player that he was. If you're training up for an edge rusher in the first round, you need him to be a you know very good pass rusher. And he just was never a he just never developed into a true impact pass rusher. He was always more of a complimentary guy uh, on the edge. Um, you know, edge wasn't he at the time, so I understand um, wanting to go up and get him. But ultimately, that that's where it loses points for me. Uh, you trade up for a guy, you just never lived up to being worthy of not only that selection of that high in the draft as a top 10 pick, but also trading up to go get him. Now, again, Leonard Floyd, I think he's one of the best 32 players in this draft when looking back at it. You know, 2016 wasn't a particularly strong draft class as a whole. Um, I, I still think Leonard Floyd's one of the 32 best players in this draft, but there were better players available at the time. And it just felt like uh, Ryan Pace was, you know, got his, it was a classic Ryan Pace thing where he had his mindset on getting his guy and he went up and got him. Um, so ultimately I give it a C plus because Leonard Floyd, he was a solid player, five-year starter for them. Didn't get that second contract with like you would want to see. Um, but, you know, like I said before, he's never returned the value of investment. And that's really where it comes down to. So Floyd, even though I think he gets a bad rap from some Bears fans for, um, you know, not reaching his potential as a pass rusher. Um, he was still a solid player. So that's why I still view it as a positive overall, just kind of underwhelming as a whole. Right. When you defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio was in San Francisco that first year back in 2011, when they drafted Alden Smith and a lot of people labeled Leonard Floyd as being an Alden Smith clone. Now Smith burst onto the scene because he had 14 and a half sacks his first season. And when you look at the Bears signings that offseason, you realize that there were two players on those 49ers teams that had a really good three or four year window where they went to the Super Bowl once and lost to the Ravens. But they had Justin Smith, who's a very similar player to Akeem Hicks, and they had Leonard Floyd. Well, they, the 49ers had Alden Smith, who a lot of people thought was very similar to Leonard Floyd or Floyd was very similar to Alden Smith. And so that was the rationale behind the pick is Fangio was trying to replicate that 2011 49ers defense. Ultimately, you mentioned a lot of it. Leonard Floyd was able to set the edge, was able to be productive in the run game, productive as a cover guy as well, but really as a pass rusher where you make your money is when you get after the quarterback. And unfortunately for Floyd, he burst onto the scene in 2016 because he had seven and a half sacks, but then he also dealt with concussion issues. 2017, the season's cut short because of a gruesome knee injury that actually required off-season surgery. He never lived up to his true potential, but he still turned out to be a solid NFL player. I mean, speaking now, from what we know, five to six years later, he did have 10 and a half sacks with the Rams last season. I don't know if it's just that 
finally some guys just begin to catch on when they do get to year five or year six, what it is. But ultimately, I would give the Floyd pick a B because he was never overly terrible, but he was still more productive than a lot of people gave him credit for. And one of the big trends I've noticed with Floyd over the last couple of years is that people use his lack of sacks to justify just him being a bad player in general. And I always say this, that if your arguments for any player at any position start and end with the stat sheet, then it's not a very good argument because there's so much that goes on in the game of football that is not even recorded on the stat sheet that can lead to you seeing why a player is more productive than he is when you turn the film on. Yeah, he was a classic glue guy, I think, for the Bears defense, a good role player for them overall in a 2018 unit. I should mention that he was only a four-year star for the Bears because they extended his fifth-year option originally for 2020, but then they retracted it um, because of the big cap that year. And then he went on the sign with the Los Angeles Rams. So a uh, four-year starter for the Bears here. Didn't get that second contract, but uh, solid starter for them overall. Just did not work out for him as a pass rusher here, which is just unfortunate. But, I mean, it's definitely not the worst first-round pick in the world by any means. It was still a very solid pick overall. Uh, just kind of underwhelming based off of what they their process was and where they got him. And that brings us to the second round here where I think we're going to be a lot more positive on this one. And that's uh, Cody White here here at 56 overall for the Bears. I gave this pick an A+, and this is for two reasons here. Cody White here, you know, maybe he's not an A-plus in terms of the actual talent you're getting at, in the second round here. Like I said, he's, he's a sec- he's a long-term starter, Pro Bowl-level guy in the interior there, very versatile player uh, for them in, in the on the offensive line. But the process here is really where I think was fantastic here for Ryan Pace. Uh, trading on twice, uh, not once, but twice, uh, to move back and get some additional picks here to get Cody White here. Uh, fantastic process all around to, uh, for them to accumulate more draft picks and still get their guy. Uh, so White here, like I said, he's been a Pro Bowl caliber offensive lineman ever since he entered the NFL. He's their best offensive lineman on the team. He's been that way pretty much since, since day one. Uh, you know, till this day, he's still their best offensive lineman. You know, he's one of those players you look back at and you look at where how this team was, how this team was built from the start of this rebuild to now. You know, Cody White here, you look at him, he's looked at as one of the foundational pieces for this team. Um, and he's been just a complete rock for them uh in the middle of that offensive line, even though his his play has been there has been some inconsistency ever since 2018. Uh, I felt like getting him back to left guard this past season really started to unlock. Uh, what he's capable of. I hope he stays at left guard going forward because that's where he's best at rather than center. Uh, but, you know, white hair, you know, whether he's at center or left guard, he's just a very, very good player uh, in the interior. And just a guy that, you know, is a guy that you can build your franchise off of as a key part of your team. White hair is interesting because he's actually the only player on this list right now that, of that number one has developed into a, consistent starter and has number two gotten a second contract with the bears while developing into a consistent starter you will get white here they originally drafted him to play left well he played left guard at kansas state i should say and then makes the jump to the nfl automatically what happens is they're putting him at center his first nfl season he's been a very good center for the bears He's been versatile and been able to move over to a couple other spots when needed. But really, they were able to get white here after two trade downs. And when you look at it, I mean, Chicago was originally picking at 41st overall. And then they moved down to 49 with the Bills, got the 117th overall pick in the process. And then they later moved back again and traded 
out of 49 all the way down to 56 to get the 124th overall pick. And we'll discuss those other two fourth round picks in just a moment here. But ultimately, Whitehair has been the best player from this class for the Bears. And the Bears know how much they value Whitehair because he's essentially developed into the undisputed offense, the face of the offensive line right now. I mean, he was the best offensive line going into the season in 2020, and he's taken on an even bigger leadership role this offseason as well. So really, Whitehair's development, it is one more so because he's just a really good player, but also number two, because this is the one pick you could argue that the Bears really did their homework on, and they did it extensively, and they were able to hit. Because when you look at some of the white, the some of the offensive linemen that went ahead, right, of Whitehair, it honestly, in this 2016 draft, it's not a super good list. And you could make the argument that, of the guys drafted in rounds one and round two, Whitehair probably looking at it is going to be a top five offensive lineman from this class. Yeah, I forget, but I think the Packers, they ended up taking an offensive lineman. I'm, I'm not getting the name on me right now. Maybe you can correct me in the name, but they drafted an offensive tackle right before the Bears. I think a lot of Packers fans were giving a lot of crap to Bears fans because, you know, there's rumors that the Bears wanted him as an offensive tackle. Do you have the name up right now? I, I, I know – he played with the Bears last year. I, I know. I'm just forgetting the name for some reason. Right. So it was actually offensive tackle Jason Spriggs from Indiana right. who went at 48th overall. And then just looking at that second round, man, I mean, the second round for this draft was pretty strong because, you know, you did have a couple pro bowlers. I mean, Chris Jones, Xavier Howard, Derek Henry, Michael Thomas, even Deion Jones, and then Cody Whitehair as well. And, then you also had guys like James Bradbury, but like when I want to expand on what I said a moment ago in terms of White here being one of the best offensive linemen from this class. When you just look at the list overall, man, I mean, look, you have Ronnie Stanley who went sixth overall. You have Jack Conklin who went eighth overall, or you had Larmy Tunsil, and then those three guys made it to the Pro Bowl. Now those guys are all offensive tackles, but then Taylor Decker, another offensive tackle, really hasn't panned out for the Lions. Okay, Jermaine Ifedi went thirty first overall to Seattle. And then in the second round, you have, you know, Jason Spriggs, not a very good draft pick. All right. Cody white here has been the best. So ultimately you could continue to argue as you go down the list here. Hey, white here's probably after the four guys that I just mentioned in round one, that white here is probably number five in this class. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd make that argument as well. I think he's definitely has an argument for top five, maybe even top three. Um, just with, you know, if you take, positional value out of it here. Uh, I think he definitely has a take. He definitely has a case for being a top three lineman in this class. That brings us to the third round then where the bears, uh, they end up selecting Jonathan Bullard here. I think the 72nd overall pick uh, Bullard's interesting because, you know, he was seen as kind of a steal at the time. I, I remember this distinctly. He was a guy that had a lot of first round buzz like early in the pre-draft process, but you know, as the process kind of went along, he, he continued to drop and drop, drop down, uh, mock drafts and teams draft boards. So he was a guy that was seen, like I said, as a guy that was a very good value for them in the third round, but uh, never really panned out. You know, he's still in the league as a rotational defensive lineman. I think he's on the Seattle Seahawks right now, but you look at his career at the Bears, he was a three-year contributor for them. You know, he made a few splash plays, uh, but I think his fit in a 3-4 defense was kind of questionable, and he just did not bring enough to the table as a pass rusher to see the field. So uh, you know, I ended up giving this pick a D plus because, you know, ultimately in the third round, you want to get a guy that can start for you. Boulder was never that guy, you know, but he was solid depth though for the few years that he was here. 
Uh, again, like you just prefer to find a starting caliber player here, uh, especially at a position of value. You know, the, the bowler pick is interesting because, again, I, I can see where the Bears thought they were getting a steal here, but uh, the fit was just never quite there, and Bowler never really maximized his potential here. He never really did maximize his potential. And one thing that I want to note is that the Bullard was obviously Bullard was unseated because of two players, Roy Robertson Harris, as well as Bilal Nichols, because 2019 Bullard was Bullard's last season. And they cut him in. Yeah, I believe they cut him in 2020 and then 2021. He actually signed with the Falcons this offseason. So his ceiling, all it will ever be is going to be a rotational defensive lineman. Ultimately, you look at this pick. Now, we could have – you could make this argument. Maybe the Bears had their eyes on Yannick Ngakwe, who went 69th overall. And then your next specs option was honestly going to be Jonathan Bull. But he's a player that just never panned out because I think there was just too much competition. I mean, you put him next to Akeem Hicks as well as Eddie Goldman on the defensive line, which theoretically, those two guys, the way that they became impact players for the Bears, you would have thought that Bullard was being put in a situation where he was going to thrive, as well as defensive line coach Jay Rogers. But ultimately with Bullard, I mean, one of the things coming out of college was he had a kind of – or a somewhat questionable first step. And you always need that first step as defensive lineman. But for Bullard, he just never was super explosive or as explosive as some really thought that he was going to be. And so I'm not really surprised that he slipped all the way down to the third round in this draft. But ultimately, it's just a player that who had a ton of opportunities to kind of make a name for himself, but then unfortunately was never really able to capitalize because – Going into 2017, going into 2018, you could even say going into 2019, the big question for the Bears on the defensive line was who is going to be that consistent starter opposite Akeem Hicks. And the door at that point was wide open, and you could say that it was basically Jonathan Bullard's job to lose. Yeah, I think you mentioned the first step. I mean, that was always considered a strength of his coming out of college. He had a really nice first step first step I should say but really what it was is he did a great job of anticipating the snap count um so it was really feast or famine when he guessed it right uh he was in the backfield he was penetrating he was making a play in the backfield but if he wasn't guessing it right you know he created some problems there because he was off balance and then that led him to get pushed out of the play you know I think he and again they they asked him to bulk up a lot because he played around like 280 at Florida he was really one of those guys that was probably a better fit for more of a 4-3 hybrid scheme where he could play uh, on the edge, uh, rundowns, and then maybe kick inside during passing uh, downs where he could rush from the inside. And, you know, in the Bears' defense, where he's, it's more of a 3-4 defense, he's asked to play more of an interior role uh, in general. I'm just not so sure that was the best use of his skill set, and that was probably just, um, you know, the Bears probably saw him as a guy that was talented, but uh, they, and they kind of bet on the talent, but it just never really worked out for me. Scheme, scheme fact or um just uh he just he just never maximized the ability that he did have which was kind of disappointing there right and that's actually a really good way to put it ultimately when you get to the later rounds of the draft you're not just looking to add depth you're also looking for players that are going to be on cheap four-year contracts that you hope will eventually develop into something so in a way you're taking a gamble major gamble on a lot of these guys because what tends to happen is is in the first and second round you have more so of your impact players your surefire prospects that you know are going to pan out or that have a much higher chance of panning out and then as you get down the board and the draft progresses 
players lose more and more value. And obviously you're dealing with a crop of players that's not as talented. And Bullard was in that role. But with the Bears, what it was is this. I thought that they took a chance on Bullard specifically because they knew, hey, we have Vic Fangio and we have Jay Rogers. Maybe we can develop and coach Bullard up to get something out of him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, that brings us to uh, day three of this draft where uh, the Bears, they had uh, six picks on day three, which is usually atypical for them. Usually they don't have this many picks at this point in the draft on Ryan Pace, but uh, you know they had a lot of picks here from trading down uh, in a couple of previous trades that uh, where they were able to ship off some veteran players and get some picks back. Um, so they started off this by trading up in the fourth round to 113th overall to get Nick Kukowski. So Kukowski... Uh, he was already seen when he was drafted as a guy that was perfect for the Bears because, you know, he had that Kwiatkowski name, you know, kind of brings that blue collar already image for a lot of Bears fans with that, you know, kind of with that last name there. And, you know, with his play style too, he's just a very tough player in the middle of that defense there who was more of a safety hybrid at West Virginia, but he really bolted up and uh, played really like a more of a traditional linebacker in the NFL as opposed to his college days was very interesting I thought but you know Kwiatkowski there you know he started right away for this defense and then once they drafted Roquan Smith to replace him he was more of a role player backup special teamer um and with that you know I thought he did a really nice job there as a backup here um overall for this team and especially on special teams adding value there um What's notable about him, uh, though, is that he played tremendously in 2019 when Dan and Roquan Smith went down to the injury he stepped up and really played fantastic, I thought, for the Bears. And that ended up earning him a nice contract with the Las Vegas Raiders. And he was a solid starter for them over there, probably their best linebacker um, over on the Raiders this past season uh, for them. So Kukowski, for a fourth-round pick, um, he really developed into a nice player overall. Um, the Bears didn't quite get to reap the rewards of that because they ended up choosing Danger Vathan over him. I give this pick an A minus just because uh, they got, you know, in the fourth round, you're looking for guys that can be quality role players for you potentially. And that's what Kukowski was. They straight up to go get him. I thought that was a nice move overall. Uh, they needed a linebacker depth at the time for sure. And, and he provided that uh, very well for what they got there. Um, I think the Bears, it is interesting because he brings up an interesting conversation of, you know, will the Bears regret choosing Trevathan over him? I think that's starting to uh, show uh, with the way Trevathan's played. Uh, last, last year, you know, kind of on the downside of his career, um, Kukowski 
entering the prime of his career, I think we're starting to see the Bears made a, made a mistake choosing Trevathan uh, over Kwiatkowski to uh, re-sign in uh, last offseason. Yeah, Kwiatkowski, what I liked about him coming out of West Virginia is that when he bulked up and became a really good linebacker, and you saw it was noticeable, he's kind of that old-school breed of linebackers in the sense that never going to be the fastest guy on the field, really wins with his physicality and – his high motor and he was obviously not the greatest athlete as well but he's made a name for himself in the nfl who's really solid as a rotational guy for the bears for a couple of years but the big thing with quick was that lack of speed legitimately was the one reason that has kept him from going from being a good linebacker to a great linebacker because we see all the time now these linebackers are getting smaller and they're also getting faster in the process. Ultimately, with Kwiatkowski, you saw that whenever he was in the game, if there was ever a receiver in the middle of the field and Kwiatkowski was asked to cover, Kwiatkowski was actually more of a liability because you would always be at least two to three steps behind that offensive playmaker, but he's still a really solid player. Now, looking at it, you're right. You could argue that last offseason in 2020, the Bears did make a mistake choosing Trevathan over Kwiatkowski, but I also think that more so what it was was that Trevathan's just proven way more, and he's also kind of consistently shown that he's not going to be a guy that's always going to get beaten coverage, and he can do a lot of the same things that Kwiatkowski does but just do them better. Cause I think Trevathan's just as an athlete, Trevathan's just overall better compared to Kwiatkowski. And also I do think that Chicago could have attempted to re-sign Nick Kwiatkowski, but they also realized that, Hey, he's probably going to be way out of our price range because he got paid by the Las Vegas Raiders and he got a pretty handsome, I think it was like a three or four year deal that he got, but ultimately Kwiatkowski, right? Really good player, solid pick. And you could argue that, this isn't even for the Bears, but just league-wide, all 32 teams, he's developed into one of the biggest late-round steals in this draft. Yeah, just great value overall for the Bears here. Uh, what what'd you end up giving that uh, pick in terms of a grade? Because I gave it an yeah. A-. What'd you give it? Yeah, I gave it an A as well. Like I said, overall, you look at Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski's a perfect model for what a lot of teams hope to get in a lot of those late-round picks in the sense that – he was a rotational guy, but he'd also step in and start if you needed him to. And then he was just pretty solid all around, even in the special teams. Obviously, no player, no prospect is ever going to be perfect, especially when you do get to day three. But hey, for Kwiatkowski, when you look at just some of the other linebackers that did go in the fourth round or on day three, you could argue that Kwiatkowski is easily one of the best. And then just looking at some of these other fourth round picks, man, I mean, we all know the best fourth round pick obviously is Dak Prescott, but um, Nick Kwiatkowski, right, has developed into a really solid player. And there's other guys too, like linebacker Devondre Campbell. I know Joe Schober, I believe, went in the fourth round. Blake Martinez as well. I mean, those are all players that they've shown, hey, we're good, but we're not going to be as impactful because if you look at a player like Blake Martinez, I mean, he went fourth round 131 overall to Green Bay. Martinez, really productive as a tackler, but unfortunately his own liabilities lie in just being able to stop the run game or be an effective run defender. Ultimately with Kwiatkowski, it's kind of the exact opposite because he's a pretty good tackler, but then also able to take advantage of the bigger defensive line that are in front of him and effectively get back there in the um, backfield and blow up run plays, or at least help blow up run plays in some capacity. 
Yeah, I know a lot of Packers fans like to tout, uh, or former Packers fans uh, and now Giants fans, uh, like to tout Blake Martinez's tackling numbers because the guy's a tackling machine, but I mean, those tackles don't really do anything when they're 10 yards down the field, which is what Blake Martinez is the master of, for the 10-yard down the field tackle, uh, which has no impact on the play. So, um, But, uh, yeah, I would say for sure that Kukowski is probably, of those two, I would, I would take Kukowski in the day of the week. Uh, that brings us to the other two fourth-round picks for the Bears. Um, at 124, 127th overall. Um, I think these are two picks that they got through their trade downs in the second round. So um, again, this is good. this is why you trade down early in the draft. It allows you to get extra extra picks in the fourth and fifth round where you can really get some steals here. Unfortunately, they didn't really get many steals, I thought, in this portion of the draft, but uh, they got one guy here, Deion Bush, who has been you know a solid role player for them, a solid backup for them. He's going on his third contract with the Bears, which is which is really not typical for a fourth-round pick. Um, he's about what you expect in the fourth round as solid depth, so I gave that pick a C. And then they selected DeAndre Hall at 127 overall. Um, Hall was a guy, you know, he was very notable because he had some of the longest arms for a cornerback in this draft, but just never really materialized on the field. He was kind of a below-average athlete for the position. And then he has some off-field issues, injuries that kind of contributes to this pick now working out. Uh, the Bears are able to trade him for a late-day three pick. Uh, so they got some value out of him, but I gave that pick as a, a D. Um, on retrospect, uh, what would you grade these picks as a whole for those other two fourth-round selections? Deion Bush, I'd obviously give a C-plus. Now, we know Deion Bush has kind of developed into a bit of a preseason star, but you look at it, there was some talk in 2019 and 2020, hey, could Deion Bush possibly start? Look, going into 2021, I'm glad we're not having those discussions anymore because Deion Bush is stealing is now just a rotational safety, but a really good, solid special teams contributor. When you look at the place where they got him, you know, a lot of these late round guys, they don't tend, sometimes they don't tend to stick around. And you could make an argument that maybe Bush isn't even on the Bears roster in 2021, but he's had a good five years here in Chicago. And then the other one, DeAndre Hall. I mean, this is probably one of the worst third round picks, or not even third round picks, I'm sorry one of the worst day three picks that Ryan Pace has ever made because Paul, okay. He started, I think a couple of games here in Chicago, but then number one was never really healthy. All right. Had hamstring injuries was suspended the first game of the 2018 season due to some substance abuse policy issues. He violated the, whatever the NFL's policy was. And then actually right after his rookie season, I believe it was like the summer of 2017 he was in Iowa, but then he got arrested there. And then what the Bears did about a year later was just completely ship him off to the Philadelphia Eagles for a seventh-round draft selection. Ultimately, when you look at Hall, he never really panned out. And there was actually, when you look at Chicago's secondary at the time, I mean, the best player was Kyle Fuller. Eddie Jackson wasn't even on the roster at this time. So there was a lot of potential for DeAndre Hall to start. It's just, there were so many things holding him back. That's why he never really materialized. And I looked him up. He's actually, he signed with Tampa Bay last offseason. All right. Didn't even make it all the way to training camp. And then actually just recently signed with some team in the Canadian football league. So, Really, with just DeAndre Hall overall, not a very good – it was just a miss in general is the easiest way for me to summarize it. Yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to describe it as well, just a miss. And, you know, that's – in the nature of the draft, you know, sometimes you get those misses here, especially on day three. 
But that leads us to probably Ryan Pace is one of his best day three picks uh, during his 10 years at Bears. And that was in the fifth round at you know, getting Jordan Howard at 150 overall. And, you know, I, I gave this pick an A plus, you said, and a lot of it's just because this is the classic example of how to invest in running backs correctly. You know, you draft them late, you maximize their use during their first few years when they're fresh out of college and they have, you know, that juice and explosiveness. And then once that starts to go away or once they start to get injured a little bit, you trade them for picks when their contract comes up and then you move on and get another running back in. And that's exactly what the Bears did with Jordan Howard here. I thought that was just fantastic uh, process and strategy overall. But, you know, looking at Howard on the field, you know, what the Bears got here on the field for a fifth round pick here was a fantastic player, especially during his first two years during his career. He really fit what John Fox wanted to do in offense, which is basically just like run the ball pretty much every single play. And Jordan Howard was a workhorse and able to make that work because, you know, he was a big guy, able to handle a lot of carries, um, able to get better throughout the course of the game. And he had a lot of big games for the Bears, especially during those first two years. I believe he was among the leaders in rushing both seasons. He had 1,000 yards both those years. Uh, Just very productive overall. Um, Unfortunately, uh, he was just never really a good fit when uh, Matt Nagy came here and installed his offense. And he quickly declined. We saw that when he got traded to the Eagles for a six-round pick. Uh, he just was never the same running back after that. And now he's on the Eagles again, but he's probably not going to make the roster. So, um, you know, overall, though, he was a guy that carried that Bears offense for the two years. He was really productive. The Bears really had nothing else going on that team at that point. Really, you know, I remember watching that team. I was in, I was in college at the time. And basically every single Sunday, I was watching that team just to watch Jordan Howard, basically, because there wasn't really much else going on for that team. And Jordan Howard was just one of those guys that you want to watch play on, on Sundays, any given Sunday. So uh, I give him a lot of credit uh, for playing well those first two years. The Bears did a nice job of moving out when they did. Um, overall, it's great value at that point of the draft. And Jordan Howard, he's one of the best steals in this draft as a whole, getting an A-plus here for me. Yeah, this was an A-plus pick for me because you're right. It is the perfect way of how to invest in a running back because a lot of these fourth, a lot, these mid-round picks, these guys only have four-year contracts. Ultimately, the Bears traded Howard going into a contract year. Now, what they got for him was like whatever a conditional sixth-round pick that could ultimately turn into a fifth-round pick from the Philadelphia Eagles. But you're right. At the time, what had happened is this, is the Bears were so hell-bent with how old-school John Fox was on going so run first. They wanted specifically a guy that was going to be a power runner that was going to be able to run now obviously one of the big reasons that Howard's no lead offense wants to do with right running back a guy who's both north south but east west and Howard was just always limited in that capacity but hey look Howard burst onto the scene he was actually I think number two amongst all the running backs drafted that year he was actually number two in the NFL in rushing so that's ahead of guys like Derrick Henry only second to Ezekiel Elliott and Howard never really got the credit as well as the respect and the attention that he deserved. Um, had a couple thousand yard seasons as well. I do not think he made the Pro Bowl, but this is one of those picks where you're like, all right, in the short term, that is how you handle a lot of these, especially these running backs, right? Is that just use them and then all of a sudden when the time is up, then you kind of have to get rid of them and try to get like some sort of 
return on your investment. But hey, for the spark that he provided for Chicago's offense, he was one of the best day three playmakers selected. Yeah, I think Howard did make one Pro Bowl as an alternative, uh, but um, yeah, that, I think that was about it. I think it was that, that was during his rookie year, only made with the one Pro Bowl. Um, it was well learned. I think he had over 1,300 rushing yards that year. So uh, that was interesting because that rookie year, he only started the last 12 games because they, you know, John Fox refused to put him in the starting lineup for some reason early on, even though pretty much everyone knew that he was going to be the guy um, during training camp and during preseason. So that was always interesting to me. But that brings us to the last two picks of this draft. We're just going to go through them pretty quickly here. Uh, in the sixth round, they got DeAndre Houston Carson. I gave that an A- because anytime you can get a sixth-round pick on a third contract, which is what he's on right now, uh, that's great value. He's been a valuable special teamer for them. He's he's given a contributor on defense from time to time. Um, he made two clutch game ceiling plays last season that led to Bears wins against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, getting that incompletion from Tom on Tom Brady, that pass deflection on fourth down, where Tom Brady forgot it was fourth down. Um, that was a great play from um, that game. And then uh, the very next week, he got that interception against the Panthers to steal that game. So Houston Carson with two of the biggest plays of the Bears 2020 season. So uh, that's an A minus for me. And then Daniel Braverman in the seventh round, I give it a C just because like, I don't want to give, even though Braverman didn't end up being anything in the NFL, like it's a seventh round pick, whatever, you know, honestly, I thought the bears were going to get a, the, the next Julian Edelman when they made this pick at the time, but uh, that, obviously that never happened. Yeah. Houston Carson, you out of it. I'll go through both of these quickly here. Obviously Houston Carson gets an A for me because depth guy has become a key part of the Bears special teams. And then also you're right. He has had his bright moments, but he's never been good enough to consistently lock down a starting spot. And then Daniel Braverman's interesting because coming out of Western Michigan, one of his, I give the Braverman pick a D by the way, but one of the big things coming out of Daniel Braverman was his ability to be an effective route runner. And a lot of people thought that he could kind of be that next really good slot receiver for the bears. But unfortunately he really didn't pan out. And what makes Braverman a more interesting case study is that it's not just that he failed to produce on offense when given reps as a wide receiver, but he also really didn't have an impact as a special teams player either. And if you can't impact the game on special teams, then you let's just call it how it is you are not going to have a job in the NFL. Braverman didn't pan out. I don't even think he's on a team at this point. And just looking at this draft class in general, man, I mean, there's only two guys going into year six, right? There's only two guys that are no longer on NFL rosters, and that's DeAndre Hall and Daniel Braverman. Yeah, and every time you have nine picks in this draft, so anytime you can get that type of, uh, you know, pressure from that class there, I mean, that's pretty good, you know, considering – um, you know, a lot of these drafts, I mean, it's really a 50-50 split on whether these guys are going to make it in the NFL. And for the Bears to have that level of a hit rate uh, shows just how good of a work that Ryan Pace did in this draft as a whole. I will mention one thing, one more uh, player before getting to the overall grade for this class. Uh, Roy, Robertson, Roy Robertson Harris was an undrafted pickup for this team um, in this draft class. He spent a year as a kind of a redshirt player, and then he really came on in 2018-2019 seasons and got a nice deal from the Jaguars. So, I'm not including him in my final uh, grading for this draft just because he wasn't technically a draft pick. But uh, if you want to make that, you know, put him as part of your grade as well. I mean, he was definitely a significant addition to this roster as part of uh, this rookie class. But overall for this grade, for me, I gave this grade, uh, or I should, I should say I, grade, I gave this draft a B plus uh, for this draft class. Um, there were only 29 Pro Bowl players in this 2016 draft as a whole and Pace found two of them. So that's very significant here for me. Process-wise, 
I thought this was probably Ryan Pace's best draft in terms of maneuvering the draft board, you know, trading up to get his guy in the first round, which I didn't love, but trading back twice in the second round to get additional picks and then trading up to get guys on day three. That's exactly how you maneuver the draft board in the draft. And I thought that was a very nice job by Ryan Pace there to do that. Uh, you know, three of the nine players selected in this draft are still with the team. You know, that's Cody Whitehair, Deion Bush, and DeAndre Houston Carson. And like you said, seven of the nine players uh, selected in this draft are still in the NFL. So that's still a very good hit rate overall. You know, Whitehair, he's been a foundational piece for this team. He's been the one guy that's really going to, we're really going to look back with this draft and say, you know, this is a guy that was really one of the key guys for this era of the Bears here. And they got him in this draft. Uh, but Leonard Floyd, Kukowski, Howard, Bush, Houston Carson, they've all been solid contributors for this team. You know, there really isn't a superstar here, which maybe would have gotten this to an A draft for me. But overall, it was just a really good draft all around. And that's where I'm going to give it a solid B plus overall. Yeah, see, I would give it a solid B+. Plus. Another thing that I want to know is this was also the draft where we saw Ryan Pace's aggressiveness begin to show off, and not just with the draft trades that we discussed, but also leading up to this 2016 draft. I mean, what had happened? They added the additional two six-round picks that we discussed a couple minutes ago, and they also shipped off a lot of the garbage from the Phil Emery era. I mean, they traded John in Bostic to New England. They traded Jared Allen to the Panthers. And then they traded Martellus Bennett um, to New England as well to get an additional fourth-round pick in return, which then turned into DeAndre Hall. Ultimately, when you look at it, if we want to talk, we know Ryan Pace talks about aggressiveness, and sometimes the aggressiveness is good, as we've seen over the years. Sometimes the aggressiveness is bad. But this is one of those cases where the aggressiveness was really good because it paid off in a lot of ways because not only were the Bears getting rid of guys like Jared Allen and John Bostic and Martellus Bennett, but they were also actively adding talent like Leonard Floyd, like Cody White here as well. Ultimately, pretty solid draft class. Yeah, absolutely. And that leads us to the final section of our episode here, and that's uh, doing a little bit of a redraft here. So last time we did a little bit of a redraft, uh, the Bears, since they only had six picks, we were only allowed to change three picks in this draft. Uh, for this one, they had nine picks, so we're only changing five picks overall here. So I'll just go down the line of the changes that I made, you say, and then you can go over yours. So in the first round, I had a tough time here because, you know, the first round really was not a strong first round in uh, 2016, especially after you got past the top 10 and really dropped off talent-wise. But I ended up going with Laramie Tunsil here, offensive tackle out of Ole Miss. He was originally picked by Miami at pick 13. You know, again, you know, not a great first round, but Tunsil, he plays a more valuable position. He's been a pro pro bowler at left tackle. You know, in this scenario here, Charles Leno had established himself as a starting level player at left tackle. So Tunsil would be competing with Charles Leno left tackle, maybe getting some reps at left guard to start his career. But overall, what this does is, you know, Tunsil – while he's never really lived up to potential, his potential or his billing of coming out of college as a true franchise left tackle, he's been a Pro Bowl caliber player there at the position um, over the past couple of years, and he would have been an upgrade to what the Bears got from Charles Leno over the past couple of years as well. And he also prevents you from having to pay Charles Leno during that time. So um, I would have gone with Larry Tunsil, although it was pretty close there. I can see an argument for keeping uh, Leonard Floyd at that spot as well because the first round just was not great this year. On the second round, I went with Cody White here, um, stuck with him at 56. And then the third round, I should mention that um, in the first round, you can only pick the next 15 picks. 
And the third round here can only pick the next 20 picks. Then the next 20 picks, I went with uh, Austin Hooper, tight end out of Stanford, who was picked at 81 to Atlanta originally. Um, you know, Hooper, just a solid player all around. A couple of Pro Bowls here in the end of his career with the Falcons. Um, you know, not a guy that was really a mismatch problem ever, but still a solid player overall. And the Bears, you know, we know that Ryan Pace, one of the issues with him is finding a solid tight end at that spot. You know, the only tight ends on the roster at that point was Zach Miller was the only impact guy on the roster at that tight end spot for the Bears at that point. And Austin Hooper would have been a day one starter over Zach Miller at that point. Uh, the fourth round, I kept Nick Wachowski the same at 113. At 124, I went to Dak Prescott instead. Um, that's pretty obvious. Every time you get a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, you have to take it. Um, and then I ended up switching out my fourth round picked for, instead of DeAndre Hall, I went with Jordan Howard. Picked him a little bit earlier because – in the fifth round, I wanted to get Tyreek Hill um, in that fifth round spot. You know, Tyreek Hill went to 164 overall to Kansas City. Hill's been probably the most impactful wide receiver in the game just because of his speed and deep play ability in the NFL. I'm not sure if John Fox would have been the correct coach to maximize his ability in the NFL. So there's an issue there. And also you have to you have to put into account that the McCaskey family I'm not sure they want to go after a player like him with his off-field history and what, you know, the reason why he fell in college was because of what happened with him off the field. You know, definitely wasn't a talent issue with him. So um, that's, you have to consider that there. But in terms of pure talent, Tyreek Hill's best player on the board. And then sixth, seventh round, cut those the same with DeAndre Houston Carson and Daniel Braverman. Uh, what were some of the changes that you made in your redrafts? Yeah, so my redraft ultimately was not as different as yours, especially once you do get past kind of the first and second round when you look at it. So I went offensive tackle in round one. Look, I understand that the bears had Charles Leno jr. I understand that national media outlets had quarterback as well as edge rusher being the bears top two picks, including ESPN's very own bears reporter. Jeff Dickerson had edge rusher as one of the top picks, but I went with Larmy Tunsil. When you look at Tunsil, he's developed into one of the best picks from this draft. And you have to realize this is that we all knew Jay Cutler was not the future in Chicago. And we know that this was his fight. We didn't know at the time in the 2016 draft that 2016 was going to be Cutler's final season in Chicago, but we also knew and understood that Cutler's time was ticking faster. Or cut, the clock for Cutler was ticking much faster than a lot of people were going to admit. So I went with Laramie Tunsil for that first pick because I'm like, look, you finally get the position that you neglected for so long throughout the Cutler era and then what happens is you're getting a guy that's going to be a true franchise left tackle by the time your quarterback of the future comes around. And then, yeah, second round, I went with Cody Whitehair. I think that he's developed into one of the best second round picks from this class. Third round, I went the same thing, dude, Austin Hooper. I know that this was not a particularly strong tight end class, but ultimately with Austin Hooper, what is, is this is that he showcased that he can be a really good you or a really good Y tight end when needed. And let's be honest with the way that the tight ends are going in the NFL nowadays, you're either a U tight end or you're a Y tight end. It's very difficult to find a guy that's kind of a mix of both. I mean, there's only a couple that I can think of off the top of my head, but Hooper, really good value. And then obviously, you know, Kwiatkowski, really good. Um, You're finding, right, I'm sure you're like, wow, our drafts are so similar. Same thing for the listeners. But yeah, dude, when you look at that fourth round, right, yo, Prescott, Prescott honestly was a steal. And if I were to go back, I would take him. Now, I will say this is that in the third round, 
going back to the third round for just a moment here, like, yeah, Austin Hooper was the guy that we both agreed on. But if Yannick Ngakwe was there as a defensive end, I would choose him. And then um, ultimately in the fifth round, I actually did not go with um, with DeAndre Hall. I decided to go with Austin Blythe, who is a, I believe, yeah, Austin Blythe went in like the fifth or sixth round that year or might've even been seventh, but um, you know, Austin Blythe was a really good day three pick. He's developed into a starter for the Rams. So overall, dude, just like looking at this entire thing, man, I mean, it was a pretty decent draft class for the Bears. Now, my redraft obviously was not very different from yours, but if I could change things overall, I would say like, okay, invest more into the trenches because we've seen like that's really hurt Ryan Pace over the last couple of years. Yeah, I'll throw out another name here. Uh, instead of, you know, Jordan Howard, that third, fourth round pick that I mentioned, uh, you know, Matt Judon was on the board as well. You mentioned the Bears, they needed an edge rusher at the time. You know, they could have gotten Judon in the fourth round there. And like you said, Yannick Ngakwe was available in the third round. Yannick Ngakwe has probably been the second best edge rusher uh, from this draft as a whole behind Joey Bosa. So to have him there in the third round, I could see an argument for him over Hooper. In fact, I, you know, on redraft, I might say I might take Ngakwe over Hooper just because, you know, the positional value right there as an edge rusher and the need for the Bears at the time. So I, I could definitely see that as well. So overall, you know, you say it, I think it's going to wrap this up here for us here for this episode. I thought this was really interesting to going back and look at this draft because, you know, the 2016 draft really was a game changer, I thought, for the Bears overall. I thought this is really where you saw the foundation set for this current iteration of the Bears under Ryan Pace. And, you know, they got a lot of good players from this draft, a lot of foundational players, or really one foundational players here with Cody Whitehair. And around that, you know, just a lot of solid value overall in this draft class. So uh, I'll end this here right now for us here. Um, you know, you can, for all of our listeners out there, you can follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace to get some of our updates and some of the things that we're doing on social media right there. You said, where can they find you on Twitter and find some of your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Usay Tolshaw. Also, check out my work on the Bear Report. I know we're recording this on a Wednesday, so players are going to be speaking to the media shortly here. We're going to have a lot of um, coverage for you guys for the second phase of OTAs. I will as well. And then um, a lot of good stuff early next week as well with mandatory minicamp kicking off before the Bears are on this like five or six week hiatus for right before the start of training camp, which is rumored to be July 27th, according to the team's official website, by the way. Yeah, that's another big announcement here. Big, big, big announcements from the Bears. Fans are expected to be back at training camp. So I'm really excited to get back. I think uh, it should be at Lake Forest, their facility at House Hall. This year, they're not going down the Bourbon A as it was in previous years. So um, that's going to be very exciting, especially you know for someone like me that like wasn't able to make the drive all the way down the Bourbon A. It's very exciting. That's a little bit closer in the area this year. So, you know, we'll see what the guidelines are for that. But overall, you know, the fact that they're having fans back at training camp is just really, really fun, really exciting, uh, especially after, you know, everything that happened last year, the pandemic and all to have fans back at that. I think it's just going to be really, really, really awesome overall. Um, but in terms of where you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Twitter at AJ Freeman 25. You can find my work at the bear report as well. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what we're working on here over the summer. Like you say, as mentioned a couple times here, it's starting to get to that dead point in the off season where there just isn't a lot going on, but make sure to keep invested with our podcast here at Picks for Pays because we're going to be continuing to go on with these, uh, you know, drafts 
uh, recaps for previous drafts in the Ryan Pace era. And we also have some 2021 college football preview stuff coming up later on in the summer as well, which will be exciting once we get to that. So keep an eye out for all of that Bears fans. I want to thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. And everyone, you have a safe and awesome weekend for y'all. Bears fans, bear down. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.